You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. Easy going, easy come. Where'd you get your info from? I found mine on Reuters. All right. Hey, before we get started, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Parents and Guardians. Is your child finding it difficult to meet today's seemingly infinite academic demands? We have a solution for you. Our sponsor, the JEI Learning Center, believes that all children have unlimited learning potential. JEI's worldwide scientific educational system provides a learning program based on each child's individual needs and ability. The JEI Learning Center effectively meets your child's academic needs with well-qualified instructors, combined with a proven method and low student-to-instructor ratio, thus making JEI the best option for your child's educational needs. Given that JEI is aligned with state and common core curriculum, the JEI system is your solution to end your child's struggles or to advance your child in math, reading, and language arts. Visit our sponsor at www.jeilearning.com. For those near Santa Clara and Livermore, Make sure to ask for the Pod Save the Rest of Us discount. Sign up today and begin to carve out the future your child deserves. Welcome back to Pod Save the Rest of Us. We are your hosts, Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We have been working in the offseason to bring you stories of 10 vastly different women who, through the resiliency, have beaten the odds and nevertheless persisted. We walked away from these interviews feeling inspired. We hope you do too. If you like the episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and help us get these stories out into the world. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode will seem too extreme to be a real story, and yet it is 100% a true story. As you listen, you'll want to doubt the validity of all this mother's life trauma. But as I have witnessed, I will assure you this brave woman has both beaten the odds of manifesting her own happiness, as well as merely surviving growing up with an abusive stepfather, the murdering of her 19-month-old child, and a family who continues to be hell-bent on bringing her down. In this episode, our guest shares with you her life story of triumph and resiliency. Please note, our guest opted to stay anonymous, so names have been left out. As children, we know when we are loved, and when we look back on our lives, we can readily recall these memories and with whom we shared them. When there's an abuser in the home, those times are especially precious because they are few and far between. As a child, we also know when we do not feel love. I guess one time I was at the kitchen table with my sisters and my mom and stepdad and um, had asked for seconds and was screamed and yelled at, told to leave, left the table, was walking up to my room and got a spoon thrown so hard at my back that it lodged into my back and I still have a scar today. Went upstairs crying, upset, thinking this is such a horrible life. And 
my mom came upstairs and said, oh, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. Now you made him mad. Now everyone's going to be having a hard time. Thanks a lot. This is all your fault. And thinking this is just terrible to be here. I just remember that day in particular because that was the day that my mom had said, if you continue to not, or if you continue this way and he gets mad again, you're not going to live here anymore. You're going to go live with my grandmother. And I just thought how terrible that my mom and mom wouldn't just get rid of me, but moving there was actually a very good thing. As a child, our guest endured abuse and was aware that her siblings did as well. Our guest, however, knew her treatment seemed more personal, but she could not figure out why. Um, they also did get treated badly at times, and I'm sure they think that also, but um, differently would be I would constantly be the person who would get in trouble for something that I didn't do, or if they had said that I had done something, then that could get me into trouble more than if I had said that they had done something. The consequences would not have been there. They, my word would not have been taken, whereas their word was taken as truth. Do you think that's in part because you were the stepchild? Looking back now, yes, but at that time I did not know that he was my stepdad. When a family friend revealed to our survivor that the man she thought was her biological father was actually her stepfather, it was a huge revelation. The discovery was filled with disbelief and pain at the same time, but later led to a more understanding of her personal disposition within her family construct, and ultimately, it led to relief. I found out that other people knew that he was not my biological father, but no one ever told me. Um, I felt lied to. I felt like... I was very upset. I'm very upset that I, everyone, I felt in my head that everyone knew but me. And I wondered why would everyone lie to me and not tell me the truth. Um, so I was very upset about that at the time. Well, after that happened, I contacted my aunt and my grandmother. And my grandmother said she was sorry, but she's told my mom many a times to tell me and that there was no perfect time and there needed to be a time. Um, and she didn't feel it was her place to tell me, so that's why she didn't tell me. So I kind of for I forgave her, obviously, for not telling me because I was very mad that she, of all people, would lie to me. I was upset my aunt lied to me because she didn't tell me, so I called her, um, and she had some really great advice, which was be thankful because um, now you're not related to him. <laughs> so that was true, and that kind of changed my perspective into thinking this is not such a bad thing and I don't think anyone was really lying to me as much as it was they didn't feel it was their place to tell me a truth that was not theirs. So I'm very happy now that that's came out and it does make me think okay that's probably why I was treated differently in my childhood because I was not his biological child so looking back that makes more sense now whereas I didn't know that at the time. The inevitability of displeasing her stepfather ultimately prompted our survivor to be kicked out of her own home. Although initially feeling unloved, the move turned out to be very positive. Suddenly, life seemed to be normal and a calm was most welcoming. It was very hard at first. I felt punished. Yes, I felt unwanted, unloved. 
been hurt a lot. So unusual was the feeling of safety and love that our survivor assumed living with her grandmother and those times that she visited other relatives, she assumed those times were not normal. A life of fear was her normal. That was very nice. It ended up being the best experience of my life to be gone and be there. We had gone to counseling as a family and this was the first time we had ever done that and explaining our my life story to the counselor um, was kind of mind-opening where I was told that that's not normal, that's not a healthy childhood, um, it's not typical, and no, not every child or majority of children um, experience a childhood like that. And I did not even think of that at the time, that that was something unique to me or was not normal. Feeling safe and loved, our survivor had found her new life to be amazing, everything she needed. And she made a huge mistake expressing her happiness as her stepdad could not allow her to be happy. Yes, when I was going into high school, um, I had said that living where I was living was the best time and I loved living there and I never wanted to go back um, to home where my parents and sisters lived. Um, my stepdad had took that and said, nope, you're not living with your grandmother anymore. You're moving back to, to home. And I was punished for saying that. And as much as I wanted to stay, um, my mom said, nope, you have to go. You have to do what he says. We ha you have to move back. My grandmother said there's nothing she could do. She, um, she begged my mom to let me stay, but she said no. When forced to leave her home and live with her grandmother, our survivor made this move a positive life change. But when forced out of this sanctuary, she looked for any way possible to survive the punishment of moving back home. Although unable to avoid all the abuse, she managed to avoid some. As you would have guessed, totally avoiding the wrath of an abuser is impossible and fear of harm at home is ever looming. But this family was getting better at coping and moving on after each volatile situation. Arguably too good at it. Our survivor shares one such incident with us. Um, I was told to throw out some old shoes that were of his, um, and my mom had asked me to throw them out at school when I went to school to throw them in the trash can. They were in a little bag. I forgot to throw them away. They were still in my backpack. So I threw them away in the trash can outside of our house. When he came home from work that day, he found them in the trash can. I did not realize at the time that he used to go through the trash can. Yeah, so he went through the trash and found the shoes. He came inside, asked who threw the shoes away. Um, immediately, my mom looked at me. I knew that he was upset. I wasn't sure why. Um, so I was afraid to say anything at all because I didn't want to say the wrong thing and get into trouble. And I wasn't sure what story my mom was going to go with. And I was just going to go with whatever story she was going to make up at the time. 
And instead of saying she wasn't sure or it was a mistake, she immediately blamed it on me and said, I threw the shoes away. And I didn't know what to say at that time. I was caught off guard. I felt like set up and betrayed. Um, he yelled and screamed, why would I throw his shoes away? Um, I said, my mom told me to throw them away. I have n I don't know what to say. And she said, I never told you to throw those shoes away in the trash can outside, which was true. She never did tell me to throw the shoes away in the trash can outside. She said to throw them away at school. And she just gave me this look like, go with it. Don't cause a problem. So... I said, I was so sorry. It was a mistake. He asked, why would you throw these shoes away? Screaming, throwing the bag, throwing the shoes. Then he just kept picking up the shoes and throwing them at me all the way up the stairs as he was screaming. And I just went into my bedroom and crying and upset. And as he's screaming and throwing shoes at me, and then he eventually stopped. And I just stayed up there until the next morning. Woke up, went to school, never spoke about it again. Although deeply concerned for her sisters, this survivor sought knowledge and models of those living a happier life. This search has led her to a stable and loving marriage and co-parenting household. Our guest describes the home she has created with her husband for her children. Um, we communicate with our children, explain why something is happening, why I'm responding a certain way. Um, always let them know that they're loved and cared for. Always do our best to make them feel safe. And that home is a safe place. That their parents are people that they can trust and go to for help and guidance with anything that they need. Although an ever-vigilant mother working to create a healthy and loving family of her own, tragedy would strike grimly on this family. Um, I was at my grandmother's house with her caregiver. She had um, needed some things to be done and um, she had asked if I could do that for her at the table and she would keep an eye on my daughter as she has many times in the past. This time in particular, for whatever reason, she shut off the alarm system and opened up the back door, which led to the pool um, to allow my daughter to go outside and drown. This was the caregiver? Yes, someone who we trusted um, so much. She was a part of our lives. Okay, so what happened when you realized your daughter was missing um it only had been about a minute but she had walked out to the door that the caregiver had left open for her and we pulled my oldest daughter found her drowned in the pool we ran outside i pulled her out and did cpr until um the paramedics had arrived my oldest daughter called 911 and called my mother to come to the house. The caregiver had opened the door and then stood and watched a child drown and a family's life change forever. 
She was in the hospital and we were not sure at the time if she was going to make it, um, if she was going to pass away. We had no idea, never been through this before, never had anyone go through this before to know what was gonna happen. Um, we did have a lot of support from family at that time. My mom actually was coming to the house to help with the kids while my husband and I were in the hospital. There were, um, was a time when they even offered my mom and stepdad to take our kids to a baseball game and keep watch over them. So I felt that was shockingly helpful and supportive in a time that I needed help and support. Um, unfortunately, there were some very strange things at the time that were also happening that were said to us that I just put on the back burner that were not supportive and just took the support I had at the time from them. And uh, then you and your husband have to decide the future of your 19-month-old baby. Yes. Um, it was told to us by UC Davis that she was not really there, that her brain was dead, and without life support, that she would not make it, and we had to decide whether to take her off the life support or keep her on life support with being brain dead. So we got multiple opinions from outside doctors and um, chief of staff to come and also analyze and double check and triple check to make sure that that information was accurate. And we decided to take her off of the life support that she was on. She passed away very quickly. A loss of a 19-month-old baby is an unfathomable pain. And through this pain, a mother also needs to help the rest of her family cope. Thus, turning to one support group becomes essential. Just a lot of prayer. We had our pastor there, our kids' youth pastor with us. Just a lot of support from friends and close family to help us when we needed help and taking that help. Um, just had to take one minute at a time, sometimes one second at a time, just to get through the moment. Although a mother will always mourn the loss of her child, time does pass and life does move on. One would hope that through tragedy, people would begin to cherish and hold on to relationships more feverishly. But when it comes to life with an abuser, such a natural response to most would be quite opposite to that abuser. In fact, losing her baby ultimately led to our survivor completely having to cut ties with her parents. Well, the abuse I experienced as a child, I am an adult now, and as much as I know that that was not okay now, and that was not healthy, um, I had to put that in the past and move forward with my life and make that choice. With my kids though, I have done everything always to protect them, make sure they're in a safe place, and do my best to love and protect them and let them know that their life is not that way and why that is wrong. And we've talked about that. 
One evening, my mother had been watching the children, my three other children, and I got a phone call from my stepdad screaming and yelling at me, telling me what a horrible person I was and a horrible mom and many other choice words and that he was going to kill my kids. I, it came out of left field for me. I did not even know he was in a bad mood that day or anything at all. I had just not known. My mom was just at the house watching my kids, which was a very rare thing for her to do at the time anyway. Um, I had to call 911, explain to them that my father, my kid's grandfather, was saying he was going to come kill them and to please get to the house, calling my mom's phone, um, which she was not answering, and I'm panicked and, f and scared and frightened that he had followed through with something he said he was going to do. As a child, he had said horrible things like this to us growing up. Um, and it frightened me that this is could be the time that he snapped and he's actually going to kill them. Got to the house and I see him in front of my home. I wasn't sure at the time if he had just came out of my house from killing my kids or what the situation was. I couldn't get a hold of anyone to figure out where my children were. I was upset with him asking where my kids were he just started, I told him I had called the police. To that, his reaction went from very upset to strangely eerie normal. And he just flipped a switch and walked like there was no problem and just started walking away from my house down the street. Where were your children? I later um, found out, my husband and I had found out that they, my mother had gotten a call from him and she had thankfully taken the threat seriously and quickly got our kids out of the house, no car seats or anything, just put them in her car and drove away as fast as she could and to a parking lot um, about a mile away from our home. What happened after that? Uh, so the police show up and then what was the, what was the end result? The end result was we, my husband and I had decided that um, this was above and beyond um, what we would allow for our kids to be exposed to um, and they could no longer have a relationship with someone who would threaten to kill them is not okay and unfortunately because my mom decided to keep that relationship with him, then they would have to have, and we all would have to have severed all ties with both my mom and my stepdad. Um, we also chose to go to court for law enforcement's advice and get a restraining order or attempt to get a restraining order against him. Um, restraining order was granted by the judge only because my stepdad started getting irate on the stand. Um, he said he was the patriarch of the family and that we should do as he says and therefore justifies everything he did was okay because he's the patriarch of the family and he's allowed to do that in his mind. We should have just allowed it and moved on. This was the first time ever
um, that I had ever called the police with a threat or his abuse in my lifetime. And he said this, that it's okay and I'm the paycheck. He said this on the witness stand. He said this on the witness stand under oath. And he actually, before the hearing started, he went and paid for a court reporter to have a transcript of everything that he had said and everyone had said that day, which was not normal to have done. They had said they don't have court reporters for restraining orders, but he was allowed to go hire one and have one there that day. So somewhere that transcript exists on paper. So you get the restraining order. He has to surrender his guns, of which he had many because he was a hunter. Yes, I actually found out that when we filed for the restraining order, we were immediately granted a temporary restraining order, and he was supposed to have surrendered his guns at the time the temporary restraining order was issued. Um, it came out in the hearing that he submitted, he gave those away later, not on time, but they did not find him for that. And the restraining order is still in play? Yes, the restraining order is still in play. And in conjunction with that, the relationship with your parents are is completely severed still? Yes. I have gotten a few text messages from my mom after that saying that my grandmother was ill and I just chose other avenues to obtain that information for my grandmother, talking to her personally and other family members and no, did not respond to her text messages. Keeping yourself and more importantly, your children safe. Yes, that was our top priority. We had spoken to law enforcement and we had spoken to um, our counselor who said that if she still has a relationship with him, then it is safest for our children to not have a relationship with her. While this is going on, you also are battling in the courts regarding the lawsuit for your the wrongful drowning of your child. Yes. Um, we came to find out later on that this drowning was not a mistake, that the caregiver did not just mistakenly open the door, and it was not a mistake. She had intentionally, deliberately, for whatever reason, shut off the alarm with the code and opened the back door, which was not able to be opened by children. Only an adult could open it. She opened the back door and she allowed our daughter to go out there and drown. We still do not understand or know why she did that, but that is what we had found happened. So with that information, we chose to sue her personally and her employment for where she provided worked as being a caregiver. And how did your father take that? He was very upset, had said, um, that we owed him. So let me get this straight. The worst day of your life was caused by somebody who maliciously, with full intent, watched 
manu manufactured it, watched it happen, and then stood during the whole mayhem. Yes. When you learned this, how did you feel? I was in shock and disbelief. It had to be wrong. There's no way someone would do this to a child, an innocent baby, not followed with anger. I wanted someone to be punished for what they had done and be jailed so this would never happen again or have the opportunity of happening again to somebody else. You wanted just to serve for your beautiful baby girl. Yes. Before, it, would, it seemed like it was just an accident. Innocent, you know. I thought it was very irresponsible right. <clears throat> for her to open a door. I put ideas in my own head as to why this happened because she would not talk to us, which I thought was very strange. We were not uh, blaming her of anything at the time. I just wanted to know why she decided to open that door when she was watching our daughter and how she lost sight of her. I wanted to know why I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I was trying to rationalize in my head and understand how, and I was hoping to hear, I'm so sorry. And I opened the door for whatever reason, air, or I wasn't thinking. And I am so sorry. And, you know, something that would make sense, not that it was intentional. Not so, that it was intentional. So an innocent mistake, and I'm so sorry, and I feel horrible, not a malicious, not a murder. Yes, not a murder. I still can't understand how someone could do that. Not that either one would have been okay because our daughter passed away no matter what, but to hear that it was intentional was just the most shocking news. I, I just still can't wrap my hand or head around how that's possible. As the story stands, it is already horrific and beyond imagine. But as you will hear, the story still has yet another horrendous twist. We decided to file a lawsuit against the caregiver and her employer. And my stepfather had told us that we were not going to do that. That was not something that was going to happen and it needed to be dropped. And in fact, the caregiver was continuing to care for my grandmother in that home. I was very upset and disbelief that even though in childhood I had not, and, and having had my own kids, I did not get the best support or any support, that now at this point in time, at the most horrible time in our life where our child has been killed, and that this is the time I'm not gonna get any support either, I just, could not believe it. I I could not believe it. I was asked, well, what do you expect us to do to that? It was just shocking to me that why is she still working there? She has just killed my kid either way, whether it was intentional or unintentional. She's responsible for the death of our child. Why is she being treated like she's the victim? It was, oh, we're so sorry for you um, as a caregiver for this to happen under your hand. That must be hard for you. I was very angry. My husband and I were very angry that and, and shocked that we're the ones who are going through the death of a child and she's the one who's being cared for and coddled and, and treated as she's the victim. And even when the evidence comes out that she 
did this intentionally. I'm still being told, don't pursue this, leave it alone. She's still gonna keep working here. She's still a good person. She just made a bad choice, move on. It's more than a bad choice, she killed my daughter. The step-grandmother's caregiver actually admitted that she maliciously and with premeditated intent opened the door and then watched a 19-month-old child drown. This confession surely would evoke a swift assurance of justice and our survival will finally get the support of her family that she is rightfully due. If this was a Hollywood story, sure, that is how this would all end. But this is not a story, and this is not fiction, and such an ending is not to be. We were not sure for a while what happened to her. Our attorney had told us um, that she had left the area, and they were unable to find her. Her own attorney was unable to find her. They did end up finding out that she had left the United States, but she had come back, and she had done a couple times spoken to her attorney and our attorney where she had said where she was, what had happened. Her story changed a few times. She spoke Spanish. So we had to start over again because she had said that um, her English was not as well. So she needed to have an interpreter for the questions to be read in Spanish and then reply back in Spanish. So everything that she had said in English then was thrown out um, not able to be used, which was including her saying that she intentionally shut the alarm off and then intentionally opened the door. Um, none of that was able to be used anymore against her. She um, protected her finances by filing for bankruptcy. So not only could she not be charged with criminal charges, now she was not able to be financially affected as well. It's important to note at this time that our survivor had a close relationship with the grandmother's caregiver. They spent many hours together, including family get-togethers and birthdays. They appeared to be a bond and a genuine trust and care for one another. There were open lines of communication, in English, in fact, and a trust which seemed normal and necessary. For the caregiver to murder this child simply seemed and still seems unimaginable today, six years later. So did she really get away with murdering, in cold blood, a child? Yes, that's exactly how it seemed to us. I was shocked when the attorney came to us and said that the caregiver's testimony is not able to be used because it was conducted in English and her first primary language is Spanish because we had only spoken to her in English, our entire family had only conversed with her in English and that was never a problem. She never had one issue ever understanding anything we had ever communicated. Yes, her child was murdered in cold, premeditated blood and no justice for this senseless death. Her family is broken. A chasm between her family and her parents is so large it has caused irreparable damage. But nevertheless, she has persisted. She is a survivor, folks. She keeps going. But one must ask, how? I am very fortunate to have a very good husband who is very caring and loving and supporting and stable, non-confrontational. I don't know if I 
unknowingly sought that out that was different from my childhood and yearned for that and that just happened or how that happened but I'm fortunate to have that support as a constant no matter what happens. Um, we're very strong in our faith with our family and believe in our and believe in God and our family holds those core values as our family values. That helps every day to have a strong foundation. I did not know what a family should be like because growing up with such an unstable environment, it was not actually until uh, as an adult that I had therapy that I realized how that was not normal. That was not everyone's every day and that's not the way a family should be. I knew it was not something I wanted to give my children because I hated that feeling, that sense of unloved, unwanted childhood that I grew up in. I did not want my kids to feel that way. So I read books and tried to emulate other families where I saw they were loving, they gave their kids love and affection. Um, I was fortunate enough throughout my childhood to visit and be around other families and other vacations and even other from family members of my family and to be a part of their lives to as an adult pick and choose aspects of those people's lives or aspects of something I saw on TV or something I read in a book that I wanted to try and implement in my family and make that the way we raise our kids and the way we have our family. Do you want to know her secret to her survival? Her children, giving them all the love and guidance every child deserves. Certainly the child who did not receive these necessities understands best how vital they are for every child. Um, I have a lot of people in my life, thankfully, that are inspiring to me in different aspects of their life that I look up to. My kids inspire me every day to do better and be better and to push through every single day of my life. We try the very best we can as parents to help them, guide them, mold them, to be responsible citizens in life and to give back to the community that they live in and be responsible. We're trying to give them tools that as a child, I was never given any guidance in life on what to do for my future. I purposefully make sure that my kids are looking into the future, how they're going to take care of themselves, how they're going to get through school and help them in any way I can. There you have it, folks. I told you all this seems to have way too many layers to be true. Most of us may have had some of these life events, but a whole life of challenges and all wrapped in one person's journey, surely it seems unbelievable. Our guest has endured a life filled with abuse, pain, loss, and disappointment. This episode is a survivor's tale of many downs, but a woman's fight to do the best she can for the family she loves. The mending of her own broken spirit in efforts to heal others, this survivor was a child who endured abuse and now, as a grown woman, she suffered the horrific loss of a child and the absence of justice for this loss. 
and she has never had the true support from her mother or her stepfather. And yet, she continues to thrive and bring love and nurturement to her own family. Our survivor story is as real as it is raw, but through it all, she has surrounded herself with her own family that knows love and freely expresses it with one another. Despite her pain, this true survivor has created a life which is focused on serving and loving others, most importantly, her husband and her three beautiful children. Indeed, despite the hate people have shown her, she nevertheless has persisted. To show your support for victims of domestic violence, please go to Tri Valley New Haven. Again, that's Tri Valley New Haven at www.trivalleyhaven.org. This episode was engineered and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We want to thank our contributors, Hunter Lewis and Robert Stanley for theme music, Danny Burns for transition music, Justice Stanley for web and social media content, Jasmine Smith for web design, Caprice Hall for graphic artwork, and our sponsors, Solid Lotion Bars and the JEI Learning Center. If you wish to find us, you can find us at www.podsavetherestofus.com as well as on Instagram at pod save the rest of us you can also find us on twitter at save the rest of us we'd like to remind you to please subscribe rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts thank you for tuning in